0: So, um, now that uh, half of the church is going out to the playground, (laughs) um, if you want to rearrange your seats, you want to sit somewhere else, I mean, uh, there are probably more people in here today than there have been in 14 months. And so, if you would feel more comfortable moving away from those people that are sitting next to you, uh, if someone coughs within 10 feet of you or sneezes or... Sniffles. I mean, I love that. That gives me an excuse to be mean to people. So, I, if you need to, if you need to move away or something like that, now's now's your opportunity to mix, scatter, move around, that sort of thing. Because uh, I, I know, like where Carl's sitting, he can't see the screens. So, yeah. Um. Uh, we're gonna. We're at the end of Philippians, uh, and. And today we're going to look at the the closing words that Paul uh, writes to the church. Closing words matter, right? Uh, That's why we give the same benediction every week, so that you will hear as you walk out of here that God loves you, that the Trinity is for you, right? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So today we're going to look at his uh, closing words uh, to the church at Philippi. Then next week we'll start uh, in on Second John, and then Third John after that. So, uh, but before I do that, let me read, or uh, let me pray, and then I'll uh, read the text. Lord, we come to you today, thanking you for uh, this opportunity to look into this uh, portion of your Word. We thank you for uh, these closing remarks that Paul gives to the church at Philippi, and I pray that you would bless them to us today by your Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would help us to know uh, the the joy of having uh, brothers and sisters that we can greet. Thank you for the joy that we have, that your grace is always constant and more than sufficient for our needs. And I pray that you would bless us with uh, steadiness in that today. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Philippians 4, uh, verses uh, 20 through 23, this is the word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So we don't write letters anymore, really, do we? We uh, we write emails uh, occasionally. People write notes, but uh, uh, letter writing is a lost art. We just don't do that anymore, do we? And that's there's there's some some things about that that I think are unfortunate because um, you know one of the one of the things that. Um, Uh, was remarkable to me. Uh, And those of you, once your kids get of a certain age and you want them to move out of your house, and when they they don't move out of your house, you have to help them with that, you know? Like all the stuff that they've left in your house, even though they've lived out of state somewhere else for years, and you start going through that stuff to clean it out. So I go through my uh, son's room, my middle son's room, and uh, every letter his mother wrote to him when he was in college, because she insisted on writing letters to him. He had every one of them. Now, now, did he read any of them? I don't know, the envelopes were open. I'm certain he was looking for cash, but uh, the, 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 fact, the fact of the matter is, he read every one of them, right? So when we take the time to put pen to paper to write our thoughts and to write of our love and our commitment and our joy uh, to someone else, that is, uh, uh, that's, that's a big deal. And so Paul now is at the end of this letter, and these are the words that he wants the church at Philippi to hear and to remember as, as they read this letter in church. Um, parting words matter. They really do. Uh, these may be the last words he ever writes to them he's facing martyrdom. Uh, perhaps uh, uh, within a, a matter of days, weeks, or months after he wrote this, uh, he would be dead. And so th- there's a certain poignancy with, uh, with, with these, uh, these words that are uh, important for us to, to, to think about uh, this morning. And so I want us to to look at his greetings and the the power of greeting and those greetings. And then I want us to look at, uh, lastly, the the word of grace that he gives to uh, the church at Philippi. So Luke, you can go ahead and put put my notes up here. So notice what he says here. There are three greetings. He says to greet every saint. He says the brothers, which he's most likely talking about, Timothy and Epaphroditus send greetings to the church at Philippi. And then all the saints, particularly of Caesar's household, uh, send uh, greetings as well. So one of the things that uh, we don't do very much in America, because the way we think of Christianity in America is that the the gospel is for me uh, as an individual. That... uh, the important thing is that I or that other individuals uh, come to faith in Christ. The, the fact that there's any kind of communal, any kind of connection, any, especially any kind of connection with, with people who are different from us or on other parts in other parts of the world who are Christians as well, something that we don't think very much about. But what Paul wants us to see here is is that the saints of God, as Emily so wonderfully said today, is is, is one giant family. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again, that you have more in common with the the believer uh, in another time zone, in another culture, with another language, and another race, than you do of the person who lives in your neighborhood, who went to the same college you did, who votes the same way you do, uh, and uh, who likes the same professional sports teams you do, but who is not a Christian. Because we build our fellowship, and we build our connection, and our family things on, on these, these things that are quick and easy connections. But what the gospel does is it connects people who, who probably in uh, many circumstances would never be connected to one another. And so Paul wants everyone in this church in this church there in Philippi to know that the Christians in Rome, which is where Paul is, send greetings to them, and that's important for us, right because it is it, there's a message behind that, and one of the messages behind that is certainly that we're united to those people that they belong to us and we belong to them, but there's even more to, to that 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 Uh, the health of the gospel, the health of the church, the work of Jesus Christ goes on all around us and and, and in places and in situations that we don't see, that we may not be unaware of, but God is at work. He is building his church. There's a church in Philippi. There's a church in Rome. Those people may never connect except that the pastors know one another, the leaders know one another, but those people have a union and a connection with one another that is profound and that is eternal, that is rooted in the common confession, the common faith that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so this greeting is, is something that is warm and personal and uh, connects, right? Which is so interesting that when we had Bishop Avakaya Bismarck come, uh, that he would bring greetings to us from south the, the uh, Episcopal Church of South Sudan to us. So that, and there was something really rich about that. That there's a real connection between us and them because we are both in Christ. We are both believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and and though we may not eat the same food and we may not uh, experience life in the same way, we're connected. We belong to them, uh, and we um, uh, they belong to us. We tend to build fellowship, and we tend to build our relationships on things uh, that are temporary, often shallow, uh, and sometimes even things that are destructive. Sometimes we build fellowship with other people because we both dislike the same people or the same things. But in this case, the fellowship that we experience, the union, the greeting, the connection that we have, is due to the fact that we both, uh, uh, the the people in Philippi, the people in Rome, uh, serve one Lord, and that Lord is Jesus Christ, and 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 that they understand that Jesus has united them. Right. But one of the things that's that's important for us to see here is is that Paul sends a very pointed and very encouraging word to the church at Philippi. Uh, He says that uh, all the saints greet you particularly of Caesar's household, of Caesar's household, right? Now, we know earlier uh, in Philippians, Paul had written this, right? I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So here's the thing, this weak man, this um, tiny little apostle, Uh, who is there in Rome. They brought him there to Rome to try him and ultimately probably to martyr him. But what has happened there is that the fact that Paul is there in Rome is uh, dramatically changing what's happening in Rome. Now there are people in proximity to the most powerful man in the world politically who are believers in Christ. Right? Right? I grew up in the 60s, and one of the things that used to be so hilarious in the 60s was because earlier in the 50s, Hollywood made the series of movies about the Bible. Really dumb movies. I mean, like really, really kind of over the top funny movies. And they would often do these movies about the early church and martyrdom, and they would always, you know, a favorite character to have in a movie, a Hollywood movie would be Nero, the Emperor Nero, because uh, he's such a bad guy, you know, and that's what makes movies is good bad guys. You know that, right? You gotta have a good villain, otherwise it's boring. Well, they would always pick some super effeminate guy with a British accent, uh, who looked kind of slightly overweight, high-pitched voice to play Nero. Always just such a loser, you know. You, you didn't. You, there was nothing about him that was appealing. You know, you didn't feel sorry for him. You didn't like him. You know. You know. Sometimes you you find a villain and you're like, I kind of connect with that guy. Well, if you connect with Nero, you're bad, right? Really bad. You don't want to connect with Nero. Um, uh, one one of the, it's just a. a I remember hearing a speech when I was in high school where a guy said, you know, uh, people today, you know, name their sons Paul, but they don't name their sons Nero. They And he said, please don't be offended by this, they name their cats and dogs Nero. <laughs> if you're named Nero, I'm sorry. That's, uh, I didn't make that up. I just thought that was an interesting quote. You can reject it if you don't like it. But... Uh, Nero is the, is the Caesar at this point in time. We know that he uh, hated everybody but himself. Uh, we know that he would take Christians and he would coat them in tar, hang them from the trees in his garden, and set them on fire to have lights for his parties. So within his household, in his presence every day, there are people who are believers in Jesus Christ. It's a pretty profound thing to think about, isn't it? Uh, And and something that I think uh, uh, should encourage us today. Because one of the things that we tend to think is, is that Uh, that the gospel is small, its power to unite, and its power to change is small. And yet here we have a man locked away in a house, chained between two Roman guards, and his witness has reached into the very seat of power for the whole world. And so one of the things that's important about that is, is, the, is that the Christians in Philippi, the, the church there in Philippi, knows that there are Christians just like them, people who, who name the name of Christ, who have been bought by the blood of Christ, who are actually in the very uh, uh, seed of power, right? And they're connected. They commune with one another, and one of the things that's important about that is one of the things that we often miss is uh, we tend to think of the, the church and our communion with one another as believers in Christ. We, we tend to think of that as something that is kind of take it or leave it. Right? One of the big, one of the big problems with America... And the American dream is that we think everything of value is done uh, by the individual. But the New Testament says to us that the important work of God is not just in individuals, but in communities in churches, in the body of Christ. And so we bear witness to the fact that Jesus Christ loves us by the way in which we love one another. This is a, there's a doctrine that we say when we say the creed that's called the communion of saints. And our, uh, our confession of faith says this, uh, that all believers are united to Jesus Christ. That's good. We, think we take that their head by his spirit and by faith and have fellowship with him in his grace, suffering, death, resurrection, and glory. But we're united to one another in love. The saints have fellowship in each other's gifts and grace and are obliged to perform those public and private duties which nurture their mutual good, both spiritually and physically. Listen, you belong to one another. And in fact, you belong to one another as much as you belong to Jesus wow, you know, that's hard because there's a lot of people that I look around that I belong to that I don't like. That I don't agree with. That irritate the daylights out of me. That I want to set straight. That are just wrong. Well, just as tied as you are to Jesus you're tired, you're tired, you're tired. Yeah, we are tired. But you're tied to each other. So that, so tied to one another, that as our confession of faith says here, uh, that we are obliged to perform those public and private duties which nourish their mutual good, both spiritually and physically. I have a responsibility to you and you have a responsibility to me. You have responsibilities to each other to see to it that the work of Jesus Christ is happening in your life and in the lives of your brothers and sisters. Sweetest thing happened a couple of weeks ago. Uh, The people that work here in the office will tell you that... uh, one of the things that I do and that if you don't want to get crossways with the boss in the office is, let me open the mail. And the reason for that is because uh, my job is so frustrating and the thing that's frustrating about it is nothing is ever finished. I don't, I I never, you know, I, I won't be finished until I'm dead. Right? But, if I can get the mail and get it put in the slots, that is one job I began and finished in one day. And believe me, that ministers to my soul, right? So I opened the mail, and there's a couple of checks in the mail and a little letter from our oldest member saying, I want you to know that because of the pandemic, it's been difficult for me to remember to give and I know the church has bills to pay. These words come to you as a testimony of my love. That's probably the best thing that's happened to me in the last 14 months to read that, to see that and to see the work of God in a dear mother of the faith to me, to be faithfully responding and giving and remembering the body of Christ here at West End. Yeah. Next slide. So by their profession of faith, saints are bound to maintain a holy fellowship and communion with each other in the worship of God and in the performance of other spiritual services for their mutual improvement. They're also bound to help each other in material things according to the different ability, their different abilities and needs. This fellowship is to be offered as God gives the opportunity to everyone in every place who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus. Whether you're in Rome or in Philippi, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, whether you are black or white, if you are in Christ, you owe this to one another. You owe it. And I know we don't use that language very much, right? We don't, we don't like to, 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 to say that, but if Jesus Christ has united us, and he has done this work, and we are united to him, then we owe to one another, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, this mutual care and concern and sacrifice that is the church when jesus said the world will know you're my disciples by your love that love is manifest not it, it, what what makes love so crazy for people to see is the sacrifice and the care that we give to one another even across our differences And we've had plenty to disagree about this year. Masks, no masks, vaccines, no vaccines, church, no church, coffee, no coffee. Boy, did I learn about that. Um, (laughs) And I did that on purpose just to see. Let's take the temperature and see what's going on. Well, I took the temperature. So the, so the fact is, you know, those are just a few of the things that we can disagree with about here at, at church. But let's think about the political environment that we can disagree about. Let's think about the cultural and the social environment. We, we have so much we can disagree about. Isn't that great? You know, it's good to be alive in such an interesting time of life where there's so many opinions and so much to read and so much to make you outraged and feel alive. And, and so it's just so awesome, isn't it? It's great. And Jesus loves every single one of us and died to make us one. Remarkable. But there's something else to see about this too that I think that, that's so important for us to unpack. And and that's that little comment that Paul makes, as we've said, about the, the members of, of Caesar's households and greetings in Christ. Right? Luke, next slide. Um, one of the things you have to see about this is is that, you know, we, we, we probably just slide over that. We don't think very much about this, but if you think around 30, 35 uh, A.D. uh, in uh, Judea, a man was crucified, an enemy of the state, a subversive, a threat, killed, hanging naked on a cross, the preferred manner that Romans used to send a message to everybody else, if you cross us, this is what happens to you. 30 years later, that man who rose from the dead, his followers, the people who believed he was the son of God, those people who had given their lives to him, who were entrusting themselves to him, are in the household of the Caesar. Just 30 years. Think about that. I think we think the gospel is weak. I think we think that the church is weak. I think we think that the spirit is weak. And I think we think we need something else to have power and influence. And that's why we are weak. And that's why we do fail. Because the power of the gospel to rattle the very rooms that the Caesar walks and lives and sleeps and eats in, that very word is right there. And it is driven by a man that Caesar probably doesn't even know his name is chained between two Roman guards in a house somewhere in Rome. But the gospel's right there. We're so discouraged. Is the gospel more powerful than any force in the world right now? Is it? Can it reach the most powerful places in the world? The reason why it tends not to is because we forget, we think that the gospel needs something else. But the fact that our God entered into the world in human flesh, lived our life, died our death, rose again, and as a result of that is uniting to himself and to each other a body is the most powerful force in the world. In fact, it's the hope of the world. And if you don't have that hope, it's no wonder that we walk about so, so outraged, so angry, so uh, undone, because the truth of the matter is, the gospel's still true. Jesus is still at work. The world belongs to Jesus Christ, and there is no power, no ideology, no thing in the world that can stand against him. Even when the world thinks it is at its most powerful, when Nero thinks he can burn Christians, the gospel is right there in this household. The early church father, Tertullian, wrote this about uh, uh, 130 years after uh uh, Paul writes these words about uh, people, Christians being in uh, Peter's, uh, in uh, uh, Nero's household. He says this, we are but of yesterday. That means we've, you know, we, we, we were just a, a, a very young movement, but we have filled your empire, your cities, your islands, your forts, your towns, your marketplaces, your very military camps and wards and companies and palace and senate and forum, all of these swarm with Christians. We have left nothing to you but the temples of your gods. They are the only places that you can name in your empire where there are not Christians. And there wasn't an internet. And, and there wasn't a car or an airplane. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So Paul wants this tiny little church facing uh, persecution, whose founder is likely to be martyred, to know this, Jesus wins. And you can stand against it all you want, but he wins because the cross is the most powerful force in the universe. That's our hope. That's our trust. That's the basis of our fellowship. And the subversive power of the gospel is always at work. And then lastly, what he wants us to know is this. He wants us to know that we have the Lord's grace, right? He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Why does he end with the word of grace? Because the world is hard. Because The temptation to despair, the temptation to anger, the temptation to bitterness, the temptation to uh, uh, think that God doesn't love you, the temptation to think that it's all a joke, the temptation to give in to cynicism, all of those things are so real. And God's antidote to that is his proclamation to you of his grace, that he loves you, and he loves you even as you fail to love him. He loves you even as you fail to love one another. And that his commitment to us, uh, signed and sealed to us in the blood of Jesus Christ, is so great and so grand that there is no, uh, uh, d- no issue, no trouble, no thing that can come against us that can ultimately undo that. That once the grace of God lays hold of us in Jesus Christ, we belong to him, he belongs to us, and he will see us through to the end. You and I live in a very shaky time, just as these Christians lived in a shaky time. The steadying force in the world today, the steadying force in your life, the steadying force in your soul is the grace of God. Jeremiah Burroughs, who wrote the the book, uh, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, says this about grace. You can never make a ship go steady, which is what we need to be steadied, by propping it from the outside. That makes sense, right? It's rolling around in the water. You know, there must be ballast, something heavy, right, in the middle of the ship to make it go steady. So there's nothing outside us that can keep our hearts in a steady, constant way but grace within the soul. You feel uncertain and and shaken and unsteady. The grace of God, the love of God, his mercy, his intention, and his heart towards his people demonstrated to us in Jesus Christ is what steadies us, right? And so Paul wants the church to hear in the midst of their difficulty and their struggling and their suffering, what does he want them to hear? He wants them to hear this, that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is with your spirit. And if that is true, all is well. If you die tomorrow, if you die today, if you're martyred today, if Nero lights you up as one of his candles in his tree, The grace of God is steady, real, eternal, and for you forever. That's our hope. And trust me, that's better than all of the false things that we think will steady our world. But the grace of God is strong and gentle and powerful and healing, and strengthening. That's the word we need, and trust me, that's the word the world needs. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you today for this truth. We pray that you would bless us, help us to uh, entrust ourselves uh, to this grace, help us to know uh, the joy of the communion that uh, with you, but also with one another that you died to give us. Would you do that, Lord? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's use this confession of sin that's uh, printed in the bulletin. Almighty God, you are full of grace and truth, but our faith is weak, and we have not understood your sovereign rule in our lives. We have occupied ourselves with our own concerns instead of submitting to your word. We have sought our own glory instead of obeying your law. We have not waited to find your will for us. We have been given to the fear of man and rocked by uncertainty. We have not noticed the needs of others around us. We have not trusted your favor. Father, forgive us for our sins against you. Lord Jesus, lead us to follow you as Lord. Grant us your Holy Spirit that your good hand might be upon us. Amen. Believers, hear these words of encouragement. Grace to you and peace. From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Please stand with us as we continue to worship.